0: So Tracy, thank you so much for coming over today. It's been a couple of months since I've seen you. It's great to see you.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: I wanted to talk to you today about your book, Mm -hmm. Uh, The Rabbit Hole, and also about depression and also about the process of writing a book because now you have written a book. So I want to pick your brain about that a little bit. So first of all, you moved to Kelowna in 2013. Yes. How did that happen?
1: So initially, I moved to the Okanagan back in 1994. Mm -hmm. Um, And so going back to the beginning, I arrived in Canada in 1987 to Calgary, got married in 1990, moved to Edmonton, then via my ex-husband's work, moved to the Lower Mainland Mm -hmm. and then ended up in West Kelowna. And then with the separation slash divorce, Mm. moved on my own and started my new life journey in 2013 and I moved to Kelowna.
0: Mm. So was that a decision the two of you made when you were still together to to come up this way or that was after you split that you decided to come here?
1: So coming to the Okanagan was purely a business move based on the work that my ex-husband was doing. It was Mm. a promotion. And so we agreed to come up here and actually loved it. I had previously been to Kelowna when I first arrived in Canada. Um, I arrived in the June, and in the August, the family I was working for came here for a two-week vacation, and mm. I actually liked it. Then, didn't realize I would be back to live many years <laughs> later.
0: And that was in '94.
1: Well, 1987 was when I first arrived in Canada and came to visit Kelowna for oh, a two-week uh, vacation. But then in 1994, in February, I actually moved from the Lower Mainland to what was then um, the West Side, really. Now mm-hmm. it's West Kelowna and remained there until August 2013, when as part of the separation Um, I purchased my own place and came to live in Kelowna.
0: Mm. It's barely recognizable, is it, since then?
1: I don't recognize West Kelowna, even when I go back across the bridge to maybe see friends or run errands. Um, West Kelowna, when I first moved here, uh, comprised of old McDonald's farm Mm. and um, the water park. And the go-karts, I think are the, only, the go-karts are the only things that actually remain. Kelowna has changed so much um, every year since we came up in 1984. I think it's gotten closer and closer to becoming that city. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we are really a big city now, we're still holding on to that very small-town feeling Of not wanting to embody the whole city living, which which is probably has uh, some issues, but positives and negatives because it maintains its integrity and beauty, which is what Kelowna is renowned for. It's true. They call it, quote, God's land.
0: Very true. So your book, Down the Rabbit Hole. Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Escaping the Rabbit Hole.
1: Same thing. It was a rabbit hole.
0: (laughs) Right. So you went down and you escaped. Yes. Um, Tell us, just give us an overview of the book. I've read it, but for our listeners, give us an overview of what the book is about.
1: So um, the book actually is um, because of some workplace bullying that I had gone through combined with a lot of stressors. I ended up having the old old term is a nervous breakdown. It was an acute depressive episode, which I actually likened to falling down a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And even though in my past, I'd had previous episodes of depression, they were really short lived. This one was different. Um, Not only was it the emotional and mental effects, but also the physical effects, which Mm -hmm. I'd never experienced before and also the very strong suicide ideation and planning. And literally, I felt trapped. I was in a very dark, cold place, and I could only see one way out. And it was a tiny chink of light, which would be the sun in the sky. And when I met with my doctor and my therapist, I likened it to... um, I was down a rabbit hole. Some Mm -hmm. people have said they felt that they were... Down a well, but it's that claustrophobic, intense feeling that everything is just weighing down on you, but all you feel is darkness and blackness Mm. and sadness and overwhelming despair and pain. Um, The book really uh, documented my journey of how I started to recover and how I finally escaped the rabbit hole which is how I actually got out of the acute depression. Mm -hmm.
0: So you mentioned you see a a tiny bit of light Mm -hmm. up top. Is that a metaphor for the idea that it is possible to get out? Absolutely. You just don't know how.
1: You don't know how. You absolutely don't know how Um, because you almost become not vegetative but inert. You were so completely weighed down, and for people who've never been through it, or maybe um, know someone who's lived with it, um, it's. I likened it to being encased in cement. Mm-hmm. I literally felt like someone had come in during the night and put cement shoulder pads and cement boots on me, and to even walk was an effort. The first few days, I actually crawled. Um, I felt that lifeless and heavy, and just. Completely overwhelmed. And so I never saw complete darkness. I knew there was that chink of light. And so I knew there was a way out. I just couldn't figure out how to get out. Mm -hmm. And it was only with medication and um, coping strategies and therapy and just a lot of work and a lot of um, life work um, that you have to do yourself and Mm -hmm. routine. And keep pushing ahead because it is so easy when you're amongst so much um, intense pain and turmoil and anguish that you just want to close your eyes and never wake up. Right. And I can completely identify with people that say, I can't do this anymore. Everyone who's lived depression will say the same thing it's not that they want to die. It's just that they can't keep living with the pain. Mm -hmm. And so death seems the most reasonable solution. We know it isn't, but to keep going on with the pain some days is just, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And so the purpose why the book was finally published was because I did it on my own. And I thought, if I can do it, then anyone can. And it was more to inspire people that, you know what, what you're going through right now, you're not, you're not alone. Right. We've all been there. We have felt it. I know everyone has a very different journey, but that there's still those feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness and no one loves me and why bother? No one will miss me that people seem to have in their heads just so much negativity that with time and with work and commitment, you must want to escape mm-hmm. your rabbit hole. Um, you can do it. And if you do, you'll come out a different person, but you'll come out a better person. Everyone who has escaped and, their darkness has said they've, they're a completely different person because right.
0: of it. I'll ask you more about that mm-hmm. in a minute, but... Um, I got the impression that it was kind of a surprise for you. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that you had suffered from mm-hmm. depressive episodes before, but this was really distinct. This was like something never before, and you worked in professional healthcare for decades, mm-hmm. so you you must have seen people yes. with depression. Did it surprise you?
1: Absolutely surprised me, and that's what I couldn't seem to get my head around because 35 years in the healthcare profession worked a lot with people who um, had mental illness and especially depression and I'd had three previous episodes but I mean they lasted one maybe three months another one lasted maybe just under a year but I didn't have that physical um Pain and symptoms, and I also didn't have the suicide. Mm -hmm. Just the the suicide ideation was just so overwhelming. Some days it was actually fighting not to submit to to suicide. Mm -hmm. And as a nurse, I mean, I I know people, and I searched websites and I read so many books because I couldn't understand why I would feel so absolutely terrible just so I want to crawl into a dark corner and cover me with a quilt and leave me alone Mm -hmm. and just please just go away and your head can't make sense out of it because the more you try to think it's the buzzing and it almost feels like um, there's some confusion starting and simple tasks like cleaning my teeth. It would take me thirty minutes to mm. clean my teeth, and I'm like, "What is going on?" I actually give myself um, cognitive tests because I thought maybe I was showing signs of dementia, mm-hmm. and it was only talking with my doctor and my psychologist because of what their uh, previous patients had told them. They're like, "No, this is this is what happens." And so it was very much an education for me.
0: Right. I think um, part of this feeling like we're not appreciated, we're not uh, worthwhile to other humans, kind of gets reinforced by the way our society treats depression or or views it. Oh, definitely. And you made some almost humorous uh, comments in the book of some of the ridiculous things that people say. Um, Tell us about a couple of those that stick in your head, like the crazy things that we inadvertently say to people.
1: I mean, mental illness has such a huge stigma, despite the fact that one in four adults is living with a mental illness right now. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very common health condition, much like arthritis and heart disease. But because anything to do with the head, with the brain, scares people because of the old connotations of going to the insane asylum and straitjackets and lobotomies and craziness and so it's something <laughs> that even today with all the advances we've made people really don't want to talk about it and I was very open from the beginning and I would tell people uh, that i had had a nervous breakdown an acute depressive episode and I really wasn't doing too well and I would get responses of well, you look too good to have depression, so you must have the mild version. (laughs) Mild version. The mild version. I didn't really know there was a mild, moderate or severe. (laughs) Um, Or you'd have someone say uh, something like, oh, mm, you've been sick for how long? So you've been off work now for over a year with depression. Oh, well, no, no, you don't have depression. You must have got something else because depression doesn't last that long. And you, then you'd have the, the people that they would just look at you and hurriedly make an excuse and leave because they felt uncomfortable. Or you'd have the people that would just say, well, if you went to church and embraced the Lord, then you would be fine. Or my all-time favorite was from a very, very dear friend who is no longer a friend because it upset me so much told me that um, if I had depression that I must have opened my heart to Satan and I had invited the devil into my life.
2: Wow.
1: And that is why I had depression. And I was so completely taken aback by those words that my only thought was just to walk away. I couldn't even respond. I started to cry and I was actually in Mission mall by Starbucks and the traffic was very busy on Lake Shore and I almost thought I may as well just run into traffic. Mm -hmm. This is what a very dear close friend who had known me for many years said. And I just thought, okay, no, just go home. Mm -hmm. And I went home. But I that was very hard. It took me a while to get past that. Now I can laugh about it and you will find that people who have lived with depression can make jokes about it because you you need humour. And I think you need humour with any kind of illness. Even people who are living with cancer say it was laughter and humour that just kind of give them that push to keep going and to find some hope. But even with a mental illness, sometimes you have to laugh at yourself, which I did many times. And you just have to laugh with others about just life in general Mm -hmm. and so if you took offense to every single thing some people said then you'd never get well
0: that's true that's true that is a particularly hurtful comment especially from someone who supposedly knows you exactly in in hindsight do you feel like would you recommend that someone who's suffering from depression is selective about who they open up to
1: we shouldn't have to be right but um, unfortunately, we're still in a society where that you're judged by the term. And so people, to all intents and purposes, think that depression means that you're unwashed and you're unkempt and you have this mournful, woeful look on your face and you go around going, woe is me, and you won't make eye contact. And that, that's no, we're the opposite we actually force ourselves to appear as normal as possible Mm -hmm. and usually say, I'm fine, I'm okay. And it's only then if people want to delve further that you can be honest and tell them. But certainly if you feel strong enough that you can handle any comment, be it unhelpful, critical, or just plain out there, Mm -hmm. then do it. But if you really feel very fragile and vulnerable, then sometimes it's just best to say, you know what, I'm not in a good place right now or I'm not doing too well. If they're really genuinely interested, they usually would reach for you and touch your arm or your shoulder and say, would you like to talk? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can do? Then you can open up further, yes. but it's always best just to kind of say, "Actually, I'm not doing that well right now," or "No, I'm. It's not good. I'm not doing what well, good." If, a pe- if people do not want to know anymore, they'll say, "Oh, me too," or "Oh, I know. Isn't it terrible? Look at the weather." They want to change the subject and yes. they want to escape. Let them go. Right. You will not get a valued conversation from them, even if you force the issue.
0: Right. You uh, mentioned that there was a workplace bullying incident that was pretty harsh, and uh, that seemed to be a trigger for mm-hmm. the, that episode that was more severe than mm-hmm. any previous episode. Do you think it's a combination of factors that put people into a, a depression?
1: There were many different types of depression, but I would say for me, um, because um, of life experiences that had been going on um, with the separation, then divorce, then moving out, living on my own, death of my dogs, workplace stressors, then bullying. I think all that kind of culminated into the almighty shove down the hole. Mm -hmm. Um, With other people, it's usually um, it could be something as sudden as um, a suicide of someone they know or the death. Of a loved one, that's a, that's still depression. It's a grieving depression. Um, there was just one precipitating factor, but for most people, the the depression is usually a number of circumstances that maybe have just all come together at once, and it is so completely overwhelming. Or you could already be predisposed to depression Mm -hmm. and they say that once you've had one major depressive episode it does increases your chances of having another one in the future and so to me it really wasn't unexpected because I'd had three previous usually 10 to 15 years apart I think what surprised me was the suddenness and the severity
2: yeah
1: it was literally like that And because I went home and I was heartbroken and numb and in a state of shock. But when I woke up the next day, my world was completely different. And I think that's what surprised me.
0: Depression is different from sadness.
1: Oh, my goodness. Totally different. We we tend to
0: confuse the two, but Mm -hmm. tell us what the difference is.
1: So sadness is it's a normal human emotion. We all have periods of sadness. It's what makes us good humans because it means we have a connection and a responsiveness to something like you see a death on television of a of maybe an actress or a, a star or the loss of a dog or you hear on the news, you know, the hockey tragedy where all those hockey players were killed. You're going to cry. You're going to have sadness because... Right. You have that emotion connection of life is fragile. But sadness is, it comes and goes. And depression is, it continues day after day, week after week. Usually when you go and you see a doctor and you say, I'm feeling really sad, they'll start asking you some t- um, some questions on one of their standardized tests. And it it's... How long have you been feeling like this in the past two weeks? So, it's usually behavior and symptoms that have occurred consistently for at least a two week period. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't seem to move past this. It's more than just sadness. I'm not sleeping. And then it'll be, I'm not eating. I feel no joy. I can't concentrate. And it's the culmination of other symptoms as well that contribute to the depression. So, it's depression is not just, oh, yeah. I'm feeling blue, I'm feeling sad It's, no, I I feel no hope I have no joy I see no future I'm not sleeping well Or I'm sleeping too much I really have no appetite Mm. Or I just sit and I just eat and eat and eat Because there's nothing else I'm trying, you know, it's giving me It's trying to give me joy But it's short-lived and so I think that's why we, we need to start to change people's ideas. No one was more shocked than when Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. Yes. And then everyone says, oh, yes, very, very long history of depression. They're your classics. To all intents and purposes, they carried on full-time jobs. They had families. They were
0: interesting life, yes,
1: and they were smiling and joking in front of the camera, and they would have supper with friends, and then they went home and hung themselves. Both of them, interestingly, um, hung themselves, and so that's what people can't get their heads around. And it's, I think, what I'm trying to educate. people and get them to start understanding is that you can't judge the book by its covers anymore you really can't just because a person looks well presented and smiles and talks to you are you actually engaging that person long enough to look into their eyes Mm -hmm. because you can see the eyes the eyes lose life if you look long enough or you can hear the tone, or their choice of words, or even their behavioral characteristics, to know something isn't quite right. Right, and you can choose to dismiss it, or you can choose to maybe ask a friend or a family member. I noticed there's something different so everything. Okay, or just ask the person. But I think we've got to start being more open and honest and. If the person turns and says, actually, no, you know what? I'm not doing too well. I don't know what's wrong with me. That they then continue that conversation that it's safe. Yes. Because if you open your mouth and your heart to someone and they shut you down, you're not going to open it to anyone. Right. Because you're going to be made to feel I can't complain. There's people far worse off than me, right. you know, and so that's why we've really got to move past this. And the sooner we do it, the better, because we see every day how many how many kids are committing suicide on a daily basis. Yes, it's depression has taken over our kids' lives in epidemic proportions, and it's really scary because it is. we're we're losing a generation.
3: Luke Mankus is a realtor with RE/MAX Kelowna. He loves what he does. We asked Luke if he had any regrets about moving here in 2011. And he always says, yeah, one regret. And that is, he didn't move here sooner. When Luke came here, he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the neighborhoods or anything or anyone besides his daughter, who was six years old at the time. So he knows what it's like. Now, he's an expert and has helped well over 100 single people, couples, families, and investors with their real estate needs in the Okanagan. If you're new to our beautiful city, Lou can help you get connected with great lawyers, dentists, carpenters, landscapers, swimming pool installers, you name it. And whether you're new to Kelowna or not, Luke knows real estate. He can help you find a great property, negotiate a good deal, and hold your hand all the way through the process until the day you get your shiny new set of keys. Luke is known as a no-pressure kind of guy. He's had clients where it took even a year or more to get them into a property. He just doesn't believe in rushing things. On the other hand, when you decide it's time to act, he's diligent, and he'll work day and night until the job is done. Give Luke Make Us a call or a text message at any time, 778-215-4273. Again, that's 778-215-4273, 778 215 Four two seven three to chat with Luke about real estate.
0: There's definitely a cultural stigma to it, you know. If someone posts on Facebook, uh, I I'm not going to work today because I threw my back out. Everybody says, "Oh, you poor thing," can I bring you some soup, you Mm -hmm. know. And it's totally normal. But if someone says, "I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed." People say, you know, snap out of it. Snap out of
1: thoughts. It. Oh, pull yourself together. Turn that frown upside down. <laughs> I mean, I've heard them all. And yeah. we've really got to start changing that mindset because the number of people who have actually lived through the suicide experience where they ignored the cries for help, because your Hmm. cries for help are not. I'm going to kill myself now, I'll show you, they are not the cries for help. The cries for help are the people that are slowly withdrawing more and more. Or you see them at the party, but they're standing off to the side, and they're engaging people, but something's different, and Mm -hmm. it's Costs nothing. Just go up and say, "Hey, is everything going okay?" You know, you can talk to me. You absolutely know one hundred percent confidential. This is what people need to hear: confidential, safe. I promise you. If I can't help you, I will find someone who can. They need to know that if they pass on something that's very deep and personal to them, that you are not just going to go, uh huh. Okay, anyway, you know, did did you see the game last night? Right. You know, it's you have to follow through. And if people do not want to have that conversation, then they need to enlist someone that they feel comfortable can. We've come so far in dealing with cancer. Lots of people could never go that cancer route before. They didn't want to talk to someone that had cancer or was dying what's the difference because Mm. with depression you are dying and you're fighting to live
3: right
2: yeah
1: and so it is um we i've had communication with lots of people from around the world and one person actually said maybe we should start wearing wristbands to denote that you have a mental illness. And I said, that's the worst thing ever. That'll isolate and stigmatize us even more because mental illness comprises 200 different diseases. Mm -hmm. And so a person who has a schizophrenic episode or a person that has a depression or a person that has anorexia, which is classified as a mental illness, we all have different needs. And you should still treat us with compassion and respect and understanding. Right. But I fear that's going to stigmatize even more. And the media don't help. I mean, every time someone pulls out a gun in the States, the first thing they say is, well, he's got to be mentally ill. Right. No, he doesn't necessarily no, have to be mentally like- ill. Or when you start hearing the stories, it's like, oh, my goodness, how did you not know? Like um, the child, the boy, who um, went and killed the the students um, mm. on the East Coast, the little children. Right. Um, he had put black um, paper up in his bedroom and barricaded the windows and was not seen out for months and months. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody knew. Yeah, And so, again, it's the, well, it's none of our business. Well, it becomes your business when they take a gun and kill innocent people. And it's too late then saying, oh, we knew he was odd. He blackened his windows. Yeah, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. I, and so I think we've got to start being more cognizant and more aware because his mum was desperately trying to get him help and he wasn't getting anywhere again. And so... I mean it, it it's more than just our problem it's it's more than just you know oh well the parents should should in, you know or the school no i think we as a society have a community responsibility right
2: um
1: because for all you know the school and the parents could be trying their darndest and maybe it's fallen on deaf ears sometimes the more people that speak up and bring attention to something right the more action may be taken. Um, But yes, everyone seems to want to find an excuse. Um, The guy in Nevada that shot everyone at the concert in Vegas, they desperately wanted to say that he had either lost at the casino or he was mentally ill. No one knows why he he, he did it. And yeah. people can't get past that because they need a label to justify a course of action. What if he was just plain mean?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, people have sociopathic and psychopathic tendencies.
0: Yeah, it exists.
1: It exists. Um, but yes, we've, we've desperately, if we're going to help save our kids, our future generation, who are going ultimately be our hope our our care providers our whatever um we we have to get rid of this stigma and start getting education and support Mm -hmm. now because otherwise we're gonna end up in catastrophic catastrophic situations globally yes because it's not just here suicide 10 year old children are the highest suicide rate in the world 10 years old are killing themselves
0: that's unbelievable isn't
1: that unbelievable in korea as young as seven are throwing themselves out of apartment buildings and so terrific this has to stop
0: it does tell us about medication there's all kinds of different medications do
1: they do they cure depression do they help tell us about that no there is there is no medication that cures depression Uh, And no, they do not. They're not happy pills. They do not make you happy, as people think. Um, Antidepressants certainly work for me. The antidepressant that I was put on saved my life.
0: You mentioned in an interview you switched medications. So tell us a little bit about that. Why the switch? What's the difference?
1: So... Lots of there is a chemical imbalance connection to depression. There move into other factors that go on in the brain that other other areas and neurons are involved. But depending on certain symptoms that you have, um, it could indicate that maybe you're depleted in um, some serotonin or um, some norepinephrine, or in my case, dopamine. Mm-hmm. And when I was with, um, so because of previous um, episodes of depression, they had tracked my family history and determined that I was highly likely um, really a genetic depression. Mm. And so they decided that they would maintain me on a low dose of an antidepressant. And obviously, I still fell down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So when I went to see my doctor after the first um, failed suicide attempt, um, answered a number of questions and determined that it was probably dopamine that I needed, which kind of just gives you enough push that you can see you can see possibilities and you can get out of bed and you can try and move forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so she felt that by giving me an antidepressant which had a higher strength of dopamine in it, which was Cymbalta, that that may help. Um, And it absolutely did. And I know lots of people hate the thought of going on medications. I think what's really important that people have to remember is if your doctor or the psychologist or the psychiatrist, whoever you happen to be seen, says, I really believe you have depression and they recommend a course of treatment. It is in your best interests after you've looked at the side effects. That you begin the course of treatment because it does not mean that you will be on it for the rest of your life.
2: Right.
1: You will be on it for a set period, and certainly the doses will be adjusted. And that antidepressant may not work and it may not be the one for you. You may have to go on to a different one. Right. But In order for you to escape the rabbit hole, you need a little bit of chemical help initially, which will get you to a place where you feel stable enough that you can go for therapy and start working through some difficult topics. Mm -hmm. But also it gives you enough strength and wherewithal that with your family or friends, or even with me on my own, like my journal and my Diary, my daily calendar routine became my motivating factors. That mm-hmm. you can actually plan, and it's not planning a week or a year, you're planning an hour by hour, mm-hmm. and then you go a day by day. And okay. so, with me, it was literally an hour by hour at this time I do this, at this time I do this. And as you completed each task, you could see the day coming to an end, you would go to sleep, and then you could start again. And just that ability to propel yourself to a tomorrow just gave you a hope that you could get closer to the light.
2: Right.
1: And so, yes, do not say, I'm not taking right. medication. If you are very, very adamant and feel quite strongly about that, then you really need to engage with your your physician and look at natural therapies and what may help. mm mm-hmm. um, there is depression-resistant um, treatment. It's it's now. They I think they estimated that approximately fifty-seven to sixty percent of people with an acute depression actually um, were antidepressant-resistant, and or the side effects were so bad that it actually made their their daily living worse, mm. and so. They've now introduced ketamine or ketamine, mm-hmm. um, which they're finding is under supervision again because on the streets it was called Special K. It's a highly right. addictive drug, but, but if given in a controlled medical supervised environment, they're finding that it's enabling people and especially children. They're finding enough that you can function and almost feel like your old self, that you could then work on counselling and tools to propel yourself forward. And so I think it's looking at these interventions as tools. Um, I, I, I say I was engaged in battle all the time when I put on my battle armour to fight my demons. Um, therapy, medications, diet, exercise counseling, journaling, these are all pieces of weaponry that you add to your suit of armor to get you through the day. One on its own will not help you conquer depression but working together it'll internally give you the confidence and the strength and the motivation to continue to move forward. Right. Um, And it's work. It's hard work and it takes a lot of time. It's not a okay, come back in two weeks, hallelujah, you'll be cured. And I think that's what was so frustrating for me even because a a year in, I would go and see my my psychologist and say, but I'm usually out of them by now. And he used to say, Tracy, this is no ordinary depression that you're dealing with. You have the secondary post-traumatic stress kicking in now and then you get the anxiety. And he says, this is going to take a very long time. Think of... that you've fractured your brain. You literally have, and it's in, in many pieces like a puzzle, and those pieces are starting to come together, but then you've got to find the glue to hold them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the—that's what I used to keep telling myself because it was, come on, I'm on the highest dose. I'm one year, one month into therapy. I've come to see you 30 times <laughs> what's going on, and people need to understand that it's going to take time, uh, but you should see positive growth. And if you journal, and I really encourage children, men, women, to journal, to write, to do something. Because if you journal and if you write your thoughts and then write a positive or, or a gratitude I did, you will start seeing your growth when you go back yes. to look over it. I used to like mark myself out a ten, zero to ten days, and you know I would have three, four, three, four, two, three, four days, and then one day I would have a day and it'd be like, oh my god, this is even better than yesterday, so I have to give this a five. Mm. And then you think, okay, so what happened today to make it a five? And you, those are the tools that you draw on, because then when you plummet and you have a two. You look back and you say, but you had a five. You know you can have a five. Mm. So if you can have a five, why can't you have a sex?
0: Right.
1: And it's like little games, negotiation you play with yourself, but with a mental illness and with like that entrenched despair and hopelessness and helplessness, it just kind of motivates you to keep going forward. Right. You know, what if you end up having three days of fives? How awful. You know, how awesome would that be? Right. And it just it it just helps you. It's it's weird to explain, but it, it just helps you.
0: It makes sense. It makes sense. So writing a book is a very difficult task and it's a time consuming task. You said at the beginning of this conversation that a severe depression is like having bags of cement on yes. you. Yes. How do you how do you get the motivation? And and you also said we have to take things one day at a time. Yes. How do you get a book done?
1: Well, I was fortunate in that I actually didn't sit down at a, at a computer and just hammer up the book. From the moment I fell down the rabbit hole, I started to journal because mm-hmm. I couldn't make sense out of it. Right. And so my analytical brain was trying to make sense of what am I experiencing? What is going on? Why am I feeling like this? What could it be? And so I journaled. And then when I was in therapy, um, I started reading lots of different books. And I think it was probably almost a year into the depression, still journaling. um, I read a book and it was very, very small and it was how to be your own best friend. Hmm. And it's like a little teeny pocketbook, but I read it and it's only like 90 pages and I read it one afternoon And I just thought, okay, I need to write a letter to myself because I was definitely in a better place than I was like three months or six months, but I still was by no means healed. I was still working through, it was literally a day by day and still suicide plans and torment. And I thought, okay, write a letter to yourself, which actually is included in the book. What is it you want? Hypothetical, what is it you really want out of life? What if if you never had this depression or if the depression disappeared tomorrow, what is it you're going to do with your life? What do you want? And I found it very cathartic mm-hmm. just to, it was very, very private. Um, and then of course my, my psychologist wanted
3: to, to hear it. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so I read it to him and he said, You have no idea how positive that is because it means that even though you're not planning your future in your brain, you're already starting the process of, I do see a possibility of a future. Right. And then in the November, December, it was interestingly after the devil, Satan in your life comment, I was at therapy and I was in therapy at the beginning, every week to two weeks, mm. this this uh, I was a mess, um, and I said, "I'm so tired of trying to explain to people and even um, friends who are in the healthcare profession trying to explain to them what depression is like." And okay, so I bathed today and I combed my hair. You pee doesn't mean it's all good. And he said, why don't you start a blog and just maybe keep it private, invite the people that you want to convey your story to and just be honest. And so I found 10 people that said, yeah, we'll be happy to read the blog. And so I started the blog and it felt quite, and it took a long time. I mean, something that probably now would take me maybe 20 minutes to Mm -hmm. type out would take a day. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And after I did the first couple of posts, I got so many messages back from people going, I can't believe you're going through that. You would never guess. You need to keep telling us. And I had doctors say, okay, we knew what depression was like, but we didn't know what it was like. And so I continued to be more open and raw and documented the suicide plan and everything. And it was very hard. But I thought, okay, for them to truly get what I'm going through, then let's just be raw and just expose it. And so the blog was just over a year. And so really, the book is all that. It was always a work in progress. There was never an intent to write a book. It Mm. was me trying to educate others and also trying to get, figure out what was going on with me it was only six months into the blog where I had so many people saying you need to put this in a book Mm -hmm. we had no idea this could help so many people and it was just by a stroke of luck I found a person in Montreal that agreed to read it to see if it was truly book worthy and she read it she emailed me within three hours and said I have got you an editor Wonderful. And the story began. And so that's how the book came to be. It is the actual blog. As I did it. Yes. It, the letter, I was strongly encouraged to, to add the letter. And then you've read the book. There's the journal entries. And it's not three years of journal entries. It's snippets. And that choice was deliberate because it. Sh- I wanted people to read it to see the healing begin. As they would go months by months, they would suddenly look and say, oh, she's getting better. Yes. Well, what happened? And it would just... And then, oh, look, she's gone back down. Just for them to see that when you're up, you don't stay up. You will go down, but you will keep moving forward. And I wanted them to see that progression. And so that comprised the second part of the book. And then we decided to put my self-help planning because there's there's strategies in there that may help not all people but some people if even if they pick one or two of them and it's silly little things people don't understand it's things like painting your toenails mm-hmm. you know it's things like just taking up a warm bubble bath right. it's the little things and that's where people who've got lived through depression have said they come out a bit with a new perspective on life and you do because it's the small things in life that give you the joy and the happiness that day to keep going forward yes it's the it's the flower it's the horse i saw running around the meadow it's the little things because you look for them to try and give you some some peace and then it's like wow that leaf on that tree is spectacular Mm -hmm. It, it and it is when they everyone keeps saying it's the smallest things it's simple things you really learn that and you learn being in the moment yes the mindfulness and so that went into the book and then the last part we chose to put the resources in because i wanted it to be a resource and an educational tool so at the end of it i wanted people to know who they could contact where they could go for help um and what what is bullying and what types of bullying and what is post-traumatic stress and what is what are the suicide warning signs it's so you know it was kind of like a go-to all-in-one it would help the person that was going through depression it would help the family and friends understand and what could they do and it was also if anybody on the street or any healthcare professional wanted to know okay well I wonder what it's really like they could open it and go oh, wow, okay, now this is making sense. My patient said that or something. Right. So, as I said, it, it was a work in progress. It yeah. really was. So I didn't have the deadlines um, when the final blog was done. Then the book was summed up. And I would say the most frustrating and the longest process was, was the proof mm. because you have to keep proofing it and rereading it and rereading it. And it's looking for those little things. Um, you know, it's the comma, the punctuation, the making sure you've referenced everything. Um, copyright was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. And I did get copyright for everything. But um, it was an education in itself publishing a book because it's the little nuances that you that you take for granted that you suddenly realize oh my goodness
0: the amount of work that goes into making a high quality book
1: um it's if you quote someone then you have to reference the source and i'm used to that from doing university papers but if the person is living you it's copyright so then you have to actually contact the person
2: Get their permission. And
1: get their permission. And it has to be written permission. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be able to have it and refer to it legally for the future. If the person is dead, like I I use a quote of Winston Churchill that I love, when you're in hell, keep going. And we referenced where the quote came from, but we didn't actually have to get permission because A, he's deceased, and B, it is very widespread. Right. Right. But you still use, I still couldn't just use the quote and not say where it came from. Right. Because people may want to go and take a look and see what other information is there. And that is a lot of work. work. Um, And lots of um, quotes that I wanted to use, I wasn't successful because I couldn't get copyright. Or they actually wanted uh, money from the book.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes.
1: So it's uh, and the illustrations are the same. On my blog, I had used illustrations from Pin Interest, which and um, because it was only shared with ten people, we didn't have to worry about that. But then, when it came to going into the book, um, many people I would contact who had originally done the illustration and they said, "Yes, you can put it in the book." but we want 30% of all book sales, plus we want this, even though you are referencing them in the book Mm -hmm. and giving them links to their website. And so my editor, Julie, who is actually an artist in her own right and has some incredible works of art, said, actually, no, let's do our interpretation of them. I know what you want to say, so I will draw something and you tell me have I captured it and that's what we did Mm -hmm. and so our illustrations are now really our work and if anyone copies them they're copyright (laughs)
0: right right (laughs) very complex so it's um it's an excellent book I mean I've read it thank you and I think it's so great because you're very articulate and there is that sense of hope almost from the beginning you can see you have good days and bad days Mm -hmm. for sure But over time, you can see the progression. Mm -hmm. And I think you you highlighted nicely in the book and in this conversation that ignorance is a big problem and the the stigma. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to help people. And sometimes we can actually do harm by saying stupid things or failing to recognize when someone is crying out for help. So I think your book does a great service in shedding light on this problem. Um, I'm wondering, I'm curious, you you talk about it a lot because you're going on interviews and with the editing process, you know, it was probably sometimes very tedious and you had to go over and Mm -hmm. over and over. Does it, for lack of a better word, is it depressing to to have to keep revisiting this same material or is it cathartic? Like, how do you feel about talking about this all the time?
1: Um, I actually feel it's cathartic because mm. I'm doing it for a purpose. When I was proofing the book, it didn't upset me. It irritated me because mm-hmm. it's like I've read this sentence 55 times. Right. And actually the best thing to do with when you proof a book, they say nine proofs. Mm. Um, when you get to seven, proof it backwards. Mm. It takes forever. It's like
0: read a sentence then, the previous sentence. No, re-
1: literally read the word backwards. Oh, uh... wow. Read it backwards. And that's when you pick up the little minuscule punctuation and spelling errors. Because what happens is you you know the book in your head. So you read the sentence in your head before you actually look at it and you miss it. And so you read it backwards. And that's enabled me to shorten the proofs because I got those final little tweaks.
2: Yes.
1: And that helped. Um, I would say... The, the It wasn't stressful. It was difficult when I did the audio version. So after the book was mm. released, I was asked by a few people if I would consider doing the audio version. And so I actually found an, an awesome guy here in Kelowna who has his own recording studio and uh, went up and we started recording the book. And once you get past hearing your own voice... Mm. And then making like the outtakes. It, if I had the outtakes, they would they were hysterical. <laughs> um, but the hardest part of recording the book was getting to the suicide day, the the champagne bottle. Yes, that was the hardest, and that is interestingly the the hardest part in the book for many people. I've had many people contact me and say. They had to put the book down after that particular chapter and come back to it in a couple of days because they found that tough. Actually reading it, because as you know, it's me rationalizing with DBS, death by suicide, how I'm going to kill myself. And it's not just one way, it's a number of ways. And actually putting that down um, on a tape to convey what I was going through um, that was I think that was the most exhausting and it mm-hmm. was after we did that that we we actually still had another hour left of taping and um, the guy said okay I think we should cut it for the day because even he was because he'd never read my book so he was living it as I went chapter by chapter and so when we got to that he's like okay, we need to take a break today. Right, right. Um,
0: That's a a very moving story, and I know this story. Um, I don't want to spoil it because I want people to go buy the book, but tell us the reason you never sought to remove the chip on your beautiful granite countertops. What's the reason you left it?
1: Because it serves as a reminder of what would have been my death.
0: Right. I mean, your home is... It, it was immaculate, there's not a scratch anywhere, but there's, but there's, this, there's this chunk there's, of there the granite.
1: There is a chunk of granite in the kitchen, yes, that um, when they read that chapter, and it's mentioned in there, I deliberately chose to leave it there because it was a reminder of how close I came, and like so close that to this day I still don't know how it, it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I used to trace my outline, my finger in the groove and just remind me that you you, you remember that night and where you are now. Mm-hmm. So you can do it even when you have the bad days. And I have jokingly said to the person that has now purchased it, that if I become rich and famous, I'll go back and autograph it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Perfect.
0: Well, that's great. Was there anything else you wanted to cover? I've Ask all my questions. So No, I I, would I think just, that's nice. Uh... I just
1: encourage people to just be kind. If if you say I am so sorry or would you like to talk about it? Or even I understand my neighbor or my sister or somebody had that. You have no idea how comforting and healing those words are because it means that a person validated that what you are going through is real. And that's all. Even if you can't or you don't have the time to engage, just that I am really so sorry to hear that. Do you have my number? Can I call you or... They'll say, call me. We will, people with depression will never call for help. Mm-hmm. People need to understand that. Yes. And so you have to take it upon yourself. And so it's, I have your number. Or oh, can I have your number? Would it be okay if I called you or emailed you just to check in? I know you you said you're okay, but can I just do that? And we will always say yes. Okay, if you want because we don't <laughs> want to be a bother. But you have no idea how an out-of-the-blue phone call or text or email, even if it's just thinking of you, are you okay? You know, if, if you're having a rough day, I'll meet you for coffee. It just gives you that, you know what, there is someone out there that actually understands and cares enough. That I'm in this world, and it just—it ke- does keep you going. So it's just be kind and gentle. You're not signing over anything to them. <laughs> you really aren't. You're just showing a little bit of compassion.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Best of luck with the book sales. Thank and you. Uh, I hope a lot of people get this message
2: because it's very hope important. So.
1: It's very, very important.
2: Thanks again.